All right, good morning, church. Good morning, how you guys doing? It's good to see you. I'm just taking in the faces. It's good to be with you this morning. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name's Zach, and I have the joy of being campus pastor here at this church. And uh, I don't know about you, but I feel like this morning's just flown by. Just like, here we are. Um, but I'm really excited. I feel um, just kind of like really full. My heart is full with a word from the Lord. And so I want us to lean in. I think sometimes it's easy to get the word I want to use it's, is perfunctory. It can just become, here's another word, automatic. It's just like we come to church and it's just this automatic thing. But I believe that uh, the Father who created all things, who knows everything about your story and about you, has something very significant and personal for you today. Maybe even especially for, for our tag students. And so let's lean in. Would you be willing to do that? Yeah. Let's lean in. It's going to be awesome. All right, I want to start off with a story. Um, this is a true story about the Apostle John. And I find it really intriguing. So this was recorded by a third century historian, a Christian historian named um, Eusebius. That's not how you pronounce it. Um, uh, but that, we'll just keep going. Um, Eusebius, sorry, Eusebius. Um, and so it's the story of John's ministry uh, in his later years. And so he's a little bit older. And so according to Eusebius, uh, John won a young man to the faith and uh, to Christ and was discipling him and mentoring him in, in apprenticeship to Jesus. And one day, uh, John needed to go on a trip. So he needed to leave. He needed to go on a, on a trip and travel to another city. And so he's not like traveling on a plane where he can go back and forth. This would take a long time. And so he, uh, in light of that, he asked the bishop or let's call it like the spiritual leader, or the, the lead pastor of all of the family of churches in that town. And he was like, hey, could you just take care of this young man? I'll be back and I'll, I'll take up discipling him when, when I return, but just take care of him, right? And so um, he went on this trip, John, and when he came back, he asked the pastor, where is this young man that I left in your care? And the bishop said, unfortunately, he's, he's dead. He's dead. And John was like, what do you mean? And this pastor, this bishop says, well, he's, he's, he's dead to God. In other words, he's fallen back into his old life. He's fallen back into his old life of sin and even crime and now lives as one of the leaders of this band of robbers in the mountains. And so where no one can go, because if anyone goes there and tries to get near the hideout, hideout they would be killed. And so he says, he's dead. He's dead to God. And so at this point, John rips his cloak as an expression of grief. And he says, give me a horse. And so this old man gets on a horse and he rides up to the mountains where it's death to go. And so he gets to this, the area, the hideout. And so the robbers who are charged with keeping watch, they grab John. And John says, it's okay. It's okay. I, I wanted to be captured. Take me to your leader's. Take me to the judgment seat. So they take this old man before the leaders, and one of the, the leaders, um, of course, is the young man who immediately recognizes John the Apostle. And at this point, this is what Eusebius says, that the young man, though armed, began to run away. <laughs> he just took off. Imagine that. Leader of this gang, he just like sees this old man, John, and just runs. And so John runs after him, 
and cries out, Why do you flee from me? I am an old, unarmed man. Don't you see that there's still hope of life for you? I'd gladly suffer death for you as the Lord suffered death for us. I'd gladly give my life in exchange for yours. Stop, listen, trust me. And so hearing these words, the man stopped. He hurled his weapons away and trembling, he began to weep bitterly. And he went back with John. I found that a really compelling story and I feel like a lot of us can actually relate to that to one degree or another. And if you're like me, um, maybe you would want to ask John, where the heck do you find this kind of confidence? Like, where do you find this kind of courage to put your life on the line? So frail and seemingly so weak, and you're able to do that right up into the mountains to certain death for the sake of love. Where do you, kind of, where do you find this kind of faith, this love for another? And so this is what the book of John, of 1 John, is all about. And we've been journeying through that for the last month, and we're going to continue today. And so in 1 John, the author, John, he's saying, like, if you have fellowship with God, true fellowship with God, and, and know him, not just intellectually with our mind, but like with our hearts and with our being, we know his glorious presence. Tag, you know his presence. Right? If you know his presence, then you can have Guess what's available to you? Unstoppable joy. In the midst of a world polluted by decay and depression, we can have unstoppable joy. We can have unstoppable faith. And so this is, um, there's a life that we are longing for. And this life of confidence, like some of us are like, we, we pretend, I think we even are in denial, like I'm, everything's fine. But we, inside, we're just like anxious, not really confident. But there's a life that we long for. Our spirit sort of knows we were made for it. And so the, the Apostle John um, wants to offer us three key things to reach those, those, those longings, that ache. In light of the problem that we see in our life, and that problem is we, that we wanna, I want to tackle today is that there's a lot of lies in the world. Am I wrong? This is a lot of lies. There's a lot of half-truths. And sometimes the best lies are sort of true, but then kind of polluted with some, some toxic lies and deception. And so I want to journey through the, the, this letter um, in the fourth chapter. And so this brings us to our, our, our passage here today. Three things that we have to sort of receive and to embody and live out so that we can step into this life that we're longing for. The first one is this, it's discernment. Discernment, everyone say discernment. discernment. I find that this is um, an impoverished ministry in the church right now. We are infantile, if I can be so bold, in our understanding of discernment. What is right, what is wrong? What is from, this, from the kingdom of darkness, what is the kingdom coming from the kingdom of light, or the spirit of the Antichrist, or the spirit of God. How do we know these things, right? We're just, YouTube, like, young people, you know, YouTube, there's just a, there's a whole swath of stuff coming into your face. What is real and what is not? First John chapter four, verse one, let's get in here. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, 
to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Verse 2, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is what the spirit of the anti this is the spirit of the antichrist which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. There's a lot of buzzy phrases and like titles in that in this passage namely false prophets or the spirit of the antichrist. Um, and so a little bit of context is there is there is this church in Asia Minor and the apostle John is overseeing all of these churches they're they're in some ways are blossoming, and then there's, in other ways, like there's poison coming in the church, and this, this group called the Gnostics, if you will, are coming in and saying, like, Jesus didn't actually come in bodily form, and so therefore, it doesn't really matter what you do with your body, you can just live how you want, whether it's your sexuality or, or the things you do, or just sin doesn't really matter, it's all about your spirit, and so Jesus wasn't actually crucified, his body wasn't crucified, and he wasn't resurrected in bodily form, so all that stuff doesn't matter, which is totally heretical, right? This is a different Jesus. And we see streams of this in some variation coming into the church now. It's like, just enjoy the benefits of God, but you don't really need to live holy. And I'm not talking about muscling and moralizing our righteousness. This is all done by the grace of God, hallelujah. But it, it does matter what we do with our body. It doesn't matter what we do with our thinking and with our relationships. This stuff is significant. It's coming into the church in many, many ways. And so the Apostle John is putting his finger on something. He's like, you need to be discerning. He's inviting us into spiritual discernment. So what is spiritual discernment? What does it mean to, how, do I, how can I tell if this is good or bad? It, it can't be just based on my mind. It can't be just based on how I feel, that's for sure. So how do, how do we how do we Grow in this. Well, John says in verse 2 to test the spirits to see whether they are from God. And so I want to offer us six like pillars to test against, to contrast against, to use it as the, the real thing. Right? So let's say you have a, a counterfeit bill, you test it against the authentic bill. So these are like what's true. And so you're like, yeah, that doesn't look right. And so I want to give you six things to contrast, to learn. I want us to be a discerning church. I want to grow in discernment. First thing, um, the Bible, <laughs> the Word of God. Surprise, surprise. And it's not only the Bible, it's orthodox doctrine. <laughs> this is right interpretation. This is, um, if someone comes and like, yeah, I have a new interpretation of this verse. Check this out. And, and it's a whole new thing. It's a whole new branch. Be weary. That is not... People have been working on this. Saints have been working on this for 2,000 years and fighting over this. There is a trajectory. And so the invitation, guys, you just keep, I'm, I'm gonna keep talking to you because I, I know you, you went through like this long weekend. It's awesome, but I need, your, I need you to be with me on this. This is great, and I see that you are. I'm talking to TAG. They just had TAG camp, obviously, so this is good. And so we need to make sure that we're following right doctrine. And so we need to study the word. It, I, you know, it's, I love devotional Bible study. It's so crucial. We need to just study the Bible and, and like learn about how to apply it to our life and have a devotional, so to speak. But you also need to do hard work of study. It's like, why is Jesus the only way? Like, what, what's Christology? It's a big word, but what, why is Jesus the way he is and why does it matter for my salvation and my eternal destiny? Like learning these things. Why is the word of God the only authority? 
for the salvation of God, like the fulfillment of God's salvific plan, things like that. So if you need, if you need help, reach out. Talk to your leaders. Talk to us staff, people who are further ahead in, the, in your faith. So this is an invitation for us, and I can belabor this because it's so important, but I don't, I don't want to for the sake of time, but we need to be students of the word. Can I get an amen? amen. We need to be students of the word. We need to internalize it. The second thing is, goes along, and the next three are sort of dovetailed together. We need to contrast it against the trajectory of the apostles. And so the apostles gave a divine deposit through the scripture, and then they set the church into the trajectory of new creation and the kingdom of God. And there's been many a time when the, when the church as a whole, the, the body of Christ, has just gone a little bit off, right? The, the, the Reformation is a huge example of that. The church was going off. And I'm not saying that the Protestant Reformation was perfect, but it did correct. It was like a chiropractor just correcting the spine, the spinal cord and the growth of the church. And so we need to just be students of the word, be students of, of church history. First John chapter four, verse five. This is just another confirmation. This is from our teaching text. They are from the world. He, John's talking about this, this alternative opposing group trying to come in and infiltrate the church. They're from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. And the world listens to them. No wonder they have so much influence. We, though, we are from God, and whoever knows God listens to who? To us. This is the apostles. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. So we listen to the apostles in their trajectory. This is the ministry of Jesus written down by the apostles in the sphere of the apostles, their teaching and their trajectory in church history. And so let's be, let's, there's, there's a lot of things that we can learn from church history. Sometimes it's so easy to be in our own stream. Let's learn and stand on the shoulders of, of the faithful before us. Amen? Amen? Number three is the character and nature of God. As I said, this is dovetailed, the first three, the, the character and nature of God. So we're like seeing, is this true or not? Is this a false spirit? Is this the spirit of God? Is it, is it congruent? Is it, does it go with this, the nature of, our, of my father and of Jesus? Or is this off? And so to do that, we have to spend time with God. We have to be in the word. We have to be a student of church history, at least just be uh, aligned with church history. Um, I want to go into that more, but I, don't, I can't get into that right now. But there's importance with just being a student of, of church history and getting to know God. And this is like, man, this is, this is so central. Are we spending time with God? Are we including him in our work? Are we including him on our drives? Are we setting aside time in the morning or in the evening to spend time with him? To enter into, God has an invitation for us, y'all. Come and enter into my trinity. <laughs> Come and enter into eternal life and all of the fulfillment and flourishing for your soul. This is available for you. Would you come and enter into my peace and my rest? Man, I need that. We need that. We spend time with God. It's not just Bible study. It is soaking in his presence, letting the Father's love wash over us. And so we need to allow his presence and his nature and his character to just like permeate and infiltrate our thinking and trade our false ideas for his, for like true ideas about God. True ideas about God. Um, yeah, Dallas Willard, um, a theologian, and I just love his writing, in The Divine Conspiracy, he writes this, <clears throat> we live at the mercy of our ideas. Do we realize that? 
You live at the mercy of the way you think and your ideas. And he goes on, this is never more true than with our ideas about God. Meaning, meaning well is not enough. Those who operate on the wrong information are likely to never know the reality of God's presence and the decisions which shape their lives and will miss the constant divine companionship for which their souls were made. True companionship with God, not just like feel-good atmospheres, although I'm down with that, but I want companionship with God. We have to have right ideas, and to have right ideas, we need the word, we need the trajectory of the apostles, and we need to spend time with them. This is how we're discerning. This is crucial. The next one is we need to trust and we need to give ourselves to trusted spiritual counsel. Those who it's like, okay, I, I see their life, and they know about God, they've been with God, they, they, and then this is an invitation to commit to the church and submit to each other. And it's not just about one chapel. Let me just be clear. It is about one chapel, but it's about the person on your left and right. It's the person who's behind you and in front of you to commit to giving yourself to this kind of um, love and accountability. We discern together. Next one, let's go a little faster, is peace. God loves to teach us to discern with peace in our heart. And many of us don't even know how to utilize this gift of his communication of peace or lack of peace because we have just tolerated anxiety in our life for way too long. And so it's so noisy in our inner territory that we don't even know how to discern with the peace of God. We have just, we've just sort of capitulated. This is just the way I'm made. I have a lot of anxiety. No. I mean, maybe chemically, and there's, there's, there's a path for that. But I think some of us just like, I need, to, I need to rearrange and reorganize my life. I don't need to put up with this kind of anxiety anymore. Yeah. And so much of it is how we habituate our life. In other words, our habits. Yeah. These kind of things can form um, a peaceful sanctuary within us. And one more reminder about this. How many of you guys know that your body could be very much prophetic? And what I mean by that, it's like God is communicating something to your very temple, to your body. Hey, something is wrong here. It's trying to speak to you. I'm so tense in my shoulders. I, have, I can't really breathe or my mind is foggy. God is allowing you to know something here. Listen to your body. This is, this is really, really good. This is the, we're talking about holistic discernment. Last one, gift, the gift of discernment. There is a spiritual gift that you, everyone could have where you spiritually discern the spirits, whether it's good or it's the spirit of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse one, Paul writes, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. And so if you want the spiritual gift of discernment or any of the other gifts, what should we do? How do you get a spiritual gift? This is a huge hack right here, and hack's not the right word, but a key opens it up. You want the spiritual gift? Pursue love. Pursue love and then desire the gift. Actually want it. Don't be weary. Oh, that's so weird. I don't want that. I mean, it is weird at times, and people have misused it, but I want the pure thing. I want what God has empowered us to have. So we ask for it, and we pray for it, and we ask, we ask for it, and we desire it, and we ask for it. Another verse with that in line of this is James chapter 1, verse 15. If any of you lacks wisdom, this is also discernment, you should do what? You should ask God. Man, I don't know how to like, traverse this world. I don't know how to journey in my life right here. If you need wisdom, ask God, right? 
who gives generously. He's not like, oh, here's a little bit of wisdom. He gives it, he lavishes his wisdom on us. This is good stuff. Let's continue. Um, verse four. 1 John chapter four, verse four. You dear children, he's just got a father's heart with these, with this ch- with these churches. You dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Man, there's a reason why that's a famous passage. I've, I've sensed, I just have like my pulse on the community. I mean, it's part of my job. But I know that there are many who are dealing with, with fear, dealing with anxiety, dealing with like uncertainty. They're just dealing, feeling like attacked by the enemy in so many ways. And so this is just a reminder that the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. In YWAM, I was a missionary uh, with Youth with a Mission for three years. And in this time, we would go to some of the darkest places, like San Francisco and Portland, like super dark, spiritually complex. Go to Cambodia and Thailand. There's a lot of demonic activity going on in these places. And so one of the things that they equipped us with is that we shouldn't fear. As simple as that. Don't fear. Because the demonic actually feeds on fear. How many of you guys know that? When we fear, it's, like, it's just like setting up like an open door, and the demonic actually feeds on that stuff. And so we don't fear. And again, it's not like, oh, I'm not going to fear. I'm so tough. Look how awesome and mighty I am. But we connect ourselves with God. We yield to God. We find union with God. And so just as a quick illustration, in terms of power, the false spirits are like car batteries, and God is like a burning eternal sun that dwells inside of you. Take heart. There is no reason to fear. Over and over and over again, God says to the people of Israel, to his chosen people, which now we have been included into, do not fear. I am with you. Let's take hold of that, friends. Let's speak that, like, let that come into the inner, I mean, this, honestly, it's like the inner person, the inner child, this part of us that doesn't I can't get into all of that right now, but there is a part of, there's corners of our heart that needs to be ministered to. Do not fear. God is with you. Okay, number two. The, what do we need to do to step into this life that we long for, to step into this joy and this confidence and this love? We follow the crucified Jesus. We follow the crucified Jesus. First John 4, verse 9 through 11 This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Praise God. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You know, (laughs) I was reflecting on this. Um, and I say this with humility because I've been this person too, but I've noticed that there are a lot of Christ followers who aren't actually that loving, just aren't that considerate, aren't that um, humble when faced with conflict or opposing opinions. We, we're not that great at loving our enemies sometimes. And why is this? Well, number one, it's really hard. <laughs> it's really hard. And um, I, I, I group myself into that category from time to time. And I'm just like struck by the 
man, the limits of my own love. And I think if we are all honest, like we can, be, we can come aware of the limits of our own love. But God is inviting us to come and follow the crucified Jesus. Why is it so hard to be loving? Well, one of the major things is because I think that a lot of Christians are not following the crucified Jesus. They're following an Americanized Jesus. They're following an Americanized Jesus. And so we need to just talk about this for a second, okay? There's a huge difference between the like, worldly discipleship or maybe Americanized discipleship. And don't get me wrong, I love America, but it shouldn't necessarily be an influence in our spirituality. We should actually influence America in that sense. And so there's worldly, American, there's Americanized Christianity or Americanized discipleship, and then there's Jesus' discipleship. And one of the biggest differences is this, and I'm borrowing this language from Pete's, Pete Scazzaro, a pastor in Queens, and his ministry is Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And he draws this contrast at war in our culture and probably at war in our own hearts. There's one motif or lie that says, be great. Be great. And then it's opposed to reject greatnessism. Reject greatnessism. This is his language. I thought I had a slide on that. It's okay. So we have... Um, an acronym in our culture. You guys are probably well aware of it, and it's called the GOAT, right? You guys know the GOAT, greatest of all time, right? And so it seems like everyone is wanting to be the GOAT nowadays, right? And we all kind of glorify the GOAT or whatever and give reverence to the GOAT. It's just, and, and we also, like, we, we have, we give it prestige and we give it privilege. And then we also kind of want that as well, and we pursue that in our own way. We want to be the best. We want to be the greatest of all time. And the, the fact of the matter is that it happens in the church too. It's just sort of more masked. It's just a little, it's just like disguised in some ways. But the Bible is telling us to run from this type of stuff. It's just run from that. It is not the way of Jesus. Jesus is like the goat. No, 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 no. This is like, this is totally backwards. These are the things that you actually have to rid yourself of. This is what Jesus is saying. Remember the Last Supper and the disciples are arguing who's going to be the greatest? And in that moment, like, Jesus comes down and he begins to wash their feet. You want to see greatness in the kingdom? It's upside down. Let me wash your feet. Let me humble myself before you. This is greatness in the kingdom. In fact, in Matthew 25, let's go on with this, like, this, this, contrast of be great and greatnessism in the goat. In Matthew 25, Jesus actually talks about separating the sheep from the what? The goats. Let's talk about it. Yeah, we don't want to be goats. We don't want to be goats. Let other people be the greatest of all time. Let other, other people have the status and the privilege and the pride and the success these are not the ways of the crucified Jesus. It's just not. And Jesus has a totally different way. Totally different way. He's not the goat. Jesus is not the goat. He is the lamb of God. The lamb of God. There's more. There's an opposing acronym that I want to offer you guys today, okay? Instead of the goat, we have the lamb. And I'm getting this from Brian Guerin. His ministry is called Bridal Glory. He's awesome. He's very prophetic, and he's, uh, check him out. 
but he, he, he offers this opposing acronym for the goat. It's the lamb. And so the L is lowly. Oh, we go low. Humble, gentle. The A is awestruck. Just be captivated by the beauty of God, by the wonder of the person of Jesus. <laughs> It'll change your life. I, I, this is a side note. I feel like there's some kind of reciprocal thing. If like you're feeling a lack of joy, a lack of peace, a lack of gratitude, if you're feeling entitled and you're wrestling with stuff, I would imagine that your, your awe and wonder is pretty low. But if you raise your awe and your wonder towards God, all of those things will rise up to you. Gratitude will grow. Joy will grow. Peace will grow. The next one, M, is meek. Meek. He's so approachable. He's not reactionary. He's humble. And the B is bondservant. Absolutely opposing the goat, right? I'm a bondservant to the freedom of Christ. I'm a bondservant to the spirit of God. Man, there's so much in this. That's a whole message. And so it's so hard to love. It's like, it's hard to love others and to be a loving person and to run after the lost like the Apostle John did with his disciple if we're consumed with our own greatness, right? If we're consumed and preoccupied with ourselves, just like always like me and like my world and my domain and my stuff, right? Whatever your story might be. And I, and I include myself right, right there. This is calling us all up by going down. So if we were to step into true discipleship, Jesus' discipleship, and love like he loved, we need to grow in Christ as a lamb. I love this quote from, from Dane Ortland in his book, Gentle and Lowly. Um, he's this Presbyterian um, pastor, and he wrote this book about the nature of God, really extrapolating a whole book out of Matthew 11. But he writes this, meek, humble, gentle. Jesus is not trigger-happy not harsh, reactionary, easily exasperated. He is the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. This should be our posture as well. Last one, how do we step into this life and become who we are called to be? Love and faith. Love and faith. There is so much in this, but I want to just do my best to remind us of these virtues and this reality of God. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16 through 18, God is love. Whoever lives in, in love lives in God, and God in them. Mutual indwelling here. It's incredible. It goes over our head. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we, are, we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, we all know this, but perfect love drives out fear. What is the end goal of following Jesus? There's probably a lot of ways that we can tackle, there's a lot of angles to this, but I would put it that we are called to become a person of love. We are called to be a person of love, to have fellowship with God, who is love, and then emanate and share that sacrificial love with who? Everyone around us. Those who it's easy to love and those who it's really hard to love, even our enemies. 
So John is reminding us that the number one thing in this passage, John is, what is he reminding us of? The thing that stops and hinders our journey into love. It's fear, right? It's fear. A few weeks ago, um, I was at South Congress on a date with my lovely wife, and uh, we went down and tried on some fun, some fancy uh, cowboy boots at Tacova's and scooted around and um, had some tacos. It was fun. By the way, date your mate. Married people, date your mate. It's important. Um, it's, I could go on and on about that. It's not the time for it, but we need to date our mate. And also single people. I'm not going to say date yourself, but because that's weird. But take care of yourself. Like Sabbath with God. Like, you know, I'm just going to spend some alone time and be very intentional about being with myself and with God, and I'm going to eat some good food, and I'm going to go on a run, or I'm going to read this book, or crochet, or whatever you do. Like, do that stuff. Sidebar. Anyway, so when we were down there, we were walking and um, noticed that church down there. I don't, I don't actually know what it's called, but they have that huge sign that says, Faith Over Fear. You, know, you guys know that one? And so although I, I, it's been appropriated by politics, which isn't always good because I don't like the polarization of politics, but I do love like the essence and the meaning of this war cry. I find that it serves as a really good metric for our journey in life. Um, and again, I'm not referring to where we fall in the political spectrum. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. So if you think politics with that, just put it aside. I'm actually talking about like how far along are you on your spiritual journey of following the crucified Jesus? The theologian and psychologist Benedict Rochelle summarizes the entirety of the spiritual journey of following Jesus as the decrease in fear and the increase in faith. The entirety of the spiritual journey. He's not just like putting it up on Twitter and some guy. This is a theologian and, um, and psychologist. The increase in faith, decrease in fear. So let me just give you a little bit uh, of teaching here about the word faith. You guys with me? Yeah. This is good for you. This is good for us. Pistis is the Greek word for faith. And what Bible scholars call it is it's a it's theological language or whatever, but it's a, it's a semantic domain. And so you have pistis in the middle, and there's, there's just all these different meanings that orbit around this Greek word. And some of these words include belief, Trust, confidence, reliance, allegiance, and faithfulness. The increase of all of these things becomes an incubator for love and our transformation into Christ-likeness. And so there are moments in our life where God is asking us to trust him, right? Will you trust me in the midst of this hardship in the midst of this chaos, in the midst of this depression, in the midst of this anxiety, in the midst of this relational tension, whatever the case may be, will you rely on me? Will you put your faith in me? Will you base it on me as a person, as the one who loves you the most, the one who made you? Or are you gonna base it on circumstance and outcome? We need to trust in God like never before, church. Like never before. We need to rely on him, put our confidence in him, our allegiance in him. And he's inviting us to step into discernment and to wait on him at times, to act on him at times, to rely on him that he is good, y'all, and that he has a good plan. And so faith is a gift from God. Okay, So just it's a gift from God, 
by the Spirit, by the grace of God, but it's also a muscle that we have to develop, okay? Faith is a muscle that we have to develop. And so sometimes God allows us to go through times of testing. Isn't that true? We all have our story. God's like, I'm allowing you to be tested right now. And not only for like our own, and it's not really for his sake. He knows the end from the beginning. He does it for ours. He does it for our sake. In James chapter one, verse two, and hold on here, I'm, we're moving to a close, but this is some, some meaty good stuff. I want us to just give ourselves to it. In James chapter one, verse two, count it all joy, <laughs> my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may, may be, be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. The fulsome language of James, I love it. And so these times when we feel like our faith is tested, can anyone relate to that? <laughs> when our faith is tested, I want us to just like realize this for a second. It's less like a, stool, a school test. It's not like, okay, you gotta study really hard and get all the information. You gotta just know all the things. It's more like actually like a stress test. Like, what are you made of? <laughs> How much strain can you actually take? It's more like a blacksmith, like testing metal. You just picture a blacksmith, like, How much can it actually take? How much strain can it actually take? It's almost also like an engineer that is testing a new plane or a new technology. Is this ready for the next level? It also could be like a, like a, um, a band testing a song on a crowd. It also could be like a chef testing his or her food. Amen. This is testing. And it's testing for what? For integrity? For wholeness? It's testing for strength? It's testing for quality? Like what's the quality of your person right now, your spirit, your soul? What is it actually made of? Is it ready for the next level? Many of us on individual levels are going through that times of testing. Are you ready for the next level? Are you, do you have the integrity, the structure in your own life to handle the next thing that God wants to give you? Or is it just gonna, we're just gonna keep going around the mountain? Same thing. Keep going through the same lessons over and over again. We're not learning. Or are we ready to ascend to the next level? And I think this is happening on, the, on a church level too. And so we band together as the body of Christ and we press forward together. I'm gonna to call up the band. We're gonna move into a moment of response. I've given you my heart, friends. I pray over this stuff. I, I write with, with God over this stuff. I allow the word to lead me. And what, is, what does our church need to hear? And I hope that some of it blesses you and I hope some of it challenges you. If I'm up here, if someone's up here and they just, if everything's perfect and everything was was just like, made you feel good, that's probably closer to entertainment. I want the, prof I want the prophetic God to speak. Um, I want us to be challenged. And I'm in that group with you. And so maybe even now, just let's just enter into a more intentional place of, of ministry in the Holy Spirit. And maybe your heart is burning right now. I want this discernment. I'm tired of being confused. 
I'm tired of not knowing what way to go. Maybe you're in here and you're, you're tired and you're numb. God has a place for that too. This is today's Sabbath, so just rest. It's all good. <laughs> but maybe there's more for you as well. So just breathe. Allow your body to relax in God's presence. Yes, God. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for this invitation into discernment. Just realizing that discernment and this invitation to discern is an invitation to mature. Babies and kids don't really need to discern when they're really young. They just get taken care of. They just lay there in the crib or in the car seat or something. But as they grow, they need to discern, is it right for me to do this or not? Can this harm me? Can this harm my family? Or is this the right thing to do? And so I thank you for this invitation to enter into maturity, to discern. I thank you for the reminder that Jesus didn't come as the goat. He came as the lamb of God meek and humble, present. Oh, you are so present, Jesus. So interruptible. So unhurried. <laughs> so we follow you, crucify Christ. Help us to learn even what that means for our life. We, are, we live so privileged. We don't have to be crucified, I pray but there are ways that we need to die. So would you teach us how so we can step into resurrection life and help us to have love and have faith. So we're gonna spend some time just communing with God, with Jesus. We're gonna have communion together as a family and we're gonna worship God together. And so allow the Holy Spirit <clears throat> to come and bring the ministry of Christ, his comfort, his love, his mercy, his empathy, his correction. And let's commune with God, with Christ. Let's picture him on the cross, dying for us. And so feel free at your leading to come up and partake of the elements. We have them at the stage. We also have them on the white in the, in the back there. And let's take communion as a church family together. Amen.